Welcome to Four Quarter Lives, a podcast exploring the profound impact of longer, healthier, and more engaged lives, not only for ourselves and our couples, but also for companies and countries. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, and on this week's Four Quarter Lives, I talk with Dr. Amy Kiyota from Singapore's National University. Dr. Kiyota was born and grew up in Japan in a four-generation household. She thought living with grandparents and great-grandparents was both normal and even essential until she discovered the world thought otherwise. After a doctorate in the U.S. and living in American nursing homes, she thought there must be a better way to design life for our future selves. She founded a concept called Ibasho, which flips the script. Instead of caring for elders, it's the elders who care for us. She's now bringing the idea to Singapore, where it launches later this month. So welcome, Dr. Kyoto, to Four Quarter Lives. Wonderful to have you with us. Thank you. So I want to start with this wonderful flip that you're trying to orchestrate around our fundamental approach to how we think about older populations. And you're really working on an idea of rather than taking care of them, we should think about designing and supporting what they want, which sounds like they want to take care of us. Is that right? And how and where did these ideas first emerge? Yes, I would like to start with one quote I found in Bhutan, actually. I was uh, in Bhutan for designing senior housing for senior monks, actually, very interestingly. And I found this quote at elementary school wall. It says, the time to be happy is now. The place to be happy is here. The way to be happy is to make other people happy. To me, it really captures nicely and it really resonated to me to show the gap between what people want versus what we actually provide through elder care. Because at that time, I realized a lot of older people probably want to do something and being able to help others will never end. You know, I think everyone wants to be useful. That doesn't stop because people get older. So I think I had idea that people may want to be helpful to others. But when I saw this quote, I just captured it to me so well because I lived in nursing home as a part of my graduate school work. And I realized I had this preconceived notion that older people are frail a little bit more and also being quiet, more passive. And when I started to live in nursing home, it was three weeks I realized there's such a wealth of wisdom. It was just stay there and we just haven't tapped it in. So that's how this whole idea started. That's wonderful. So you're familiar and you did your doctorate in the US. So you're familiar with the American approach to elder care and you actually went and lived in nursing homes and this whole idea of kind of segregating by age. So a lot of these ideas I'm sure germinated. What did you see there? You discovered wisdom energy. What was the system that you lived with doing to these people? Did you think that it was shutting them down, eclipsing that wisdom? or I feel like it was all the wisdom and experience and such an interesting personality in the history of one person was kept being locked. And I feel like someone can just unlock this, then they may have opportunity to dine. But I think 
they're also conditioned for a long time to be sort of backseat because it's, I'm old, young people has to do this. I will let you do this for a long time. So they are wise enough to be quiet, to let young people thrive. So I feel like it was, they were young, wise enough to be quiet, young, wise enough to let other people thrive. But if we were to unlock this untapped potential, it could come out, but it also still need just us to reach out. Otherwise, you know, other people are feeling like it's not our place to do this. It's not our place to say this. So overall, I feel such a big wisdom. That wisdom kind of can be shared, but the wisdom that makes them a little bit reserved. So that was an interesting kind of boundary that I felt uh, happening so, in the nursing home. So kind of a waste of wisdom, an untapped potential that we're underutilizing. Tell me a little bit about how did you get first interested in this area? What was your doctorate in? How did you get to the U.S. to do that? Is that where you started? Where were you born? Tell me a little bit about your own backstory and your sure. discovery of this theme. Yeah. So I was born and raised in Japan and I, born, I, was, grew, up, I grew up with four generation household. So having grandmother and great-grandmother was part of my life. Older people are always around. So one of my mother's side of grandmother started to have memory issues. And she actually packed herself up and just checked herself into a nursing home to avoid being a burden. Wow. And, and then she started to living in a nursing home in Japan. And I visited her few months later after she checked herself in. It was pretty shocking because I went there and asked where my grandmother's room was and gave my first my grandma's first name and asked the room number where I can find. No one knew my grandmother's first name. So I just needed to give last name. Oh, that's and terrible. They said, okay, this person is in 14B. So after that, she became 14B. That was her identity. And everybody knew about my grandmother's health condition, what she ate in the morning, but no one knew about my grandmother's first name and also what she was like and how she likes to spend her time. So that really a made completely me completely dehumanizing, a completely dehumanizing context. Yeah, because I was not in the business, you know, I was at that time I was not in the field of aging. Yeah. So to me it was purely strange. How could this happen? And that was really a changing moment that I had to do something. So, so next day, I started to look for area to study and I was not able to find any programming. So I decided to come to the U.S. And I decided to come to U.S. to study about aging. And I was supposed to come for a couple of years to study horticultural therapy because my grandmother loved gardening. I wanted to study so that I could go back home and do horticultural therapy with my mother, my grandmother. And I just ended up studying a little bit more to learn how to improve the environment for aging. And, and I just went through architecture master's degree and PhDs and also architecture specializing on you know, how to design better for older population. That's how I ended up with by the time that my study was done, my grandmother passed already. So I was not able to really pay back my gratitude for her. But I hope that she's happy for me to be able to help others. She taught you what you needed to know, that something had to be done and you did it. 
Oh, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so years later, I don't know, how long did you end up spending in the U.S. with all of that? <laughs> so my graduate school from two years, that was a plan to 11 years in the graduate school. And after that, I lived in the States and I ended up living in the States for about 26 years. Okay. Until I moved to uh, Singapore last year. So the project that you then started in Japan, you were running it from the US then. And you started yeah. this program that's now quite well known called Ibosha. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Tell us, was that founded in all of what you discovered? And what does the word mean? And what was the concept that you were trying to establish? Yeah. So I'll start with the name of just the the meaning of the concept. The ibasho is a Japanese word. Directly translated means that it's a place where you feel at home being yourself. So it is psychological, sort of ibasho, or physical ibasho, but a place where anyone can have at any moment to just find yourself. That's the meaning of it. And I really wanted to convey that real meaning of that to my work. Because I was helping for designing hospitals and nursing homes. At one point, I realized that the place where we are designing, it's somehow people don't want to go there. And why are we keep building this? And why are we keeping? What's the answer to that question? Why are we? Why do we keep building? Is this, is this money? Is it financial? You know, is this a profit motive that keeps us creating these huge systems for Older people yeah. that they don't seem to want to go to? Yeah, I think it's a complex issue that this long-term care happens. But I feel that long-term care, it's necessary. But why are we designing the space very institutional? Mm-hmm. And why are we operating the way that we want how older people should be living in without knowing that much about how they want to live their life? So I'm not really sort of denying the existence of long-term care. Long-term care is necessary, but I think environment and care being very institutionalized, almost like hospital. I mean, a lot of nursing home designs are modeled after hospital. It's very strange because you can go to acute care, like hospital, to heal, but you have this hope of you are going to discharge, be discharged one day. But long-term care, it is not the case. Yet we are designing the space as if it's like a hospital. And I think it is very difficult for anyone to live in hospital for 20 years or, you know, just indefinite time. I don't know why we can't change it fast enough. I think there are a lot of changes happening. I really do like to see more community-based approach so that you can stay in the place where you live for a long time or wherever that you feel like that's where you want to spend the rest of your life in. That could be a regular community where people can stay aging in place rather than uprooting everything from everything you had, the memories and stuff, and then moving into new place. It looked like hospital. It is. Yeah. Really, it's very so that, strange why so we can't that, change. So is that what Ibesho is? And tell us a little bit about what you built in Japan 
to yeah. counter that particular trend and what's its impact? Yeah. So for me, I tried to redesign nursing home for a long time. I'm still being interested. But at the same time, I was very much interested in supporting for people to aging in place within their community. And having a nice house is not the solution, actually. You want the destination where you come back to home. And we don't have that destination in the community. And the destination where you can meet with your friends and you are expected to be responsible citizen to do something to others. That's coming from my Bhutan's quote, just to make yourself feel happy means that you want to do something useful in the community. You want to be useful in the community. And I really wanted to create that space. So I'm not really replacing nursing home and anything, but really create the place with older person for the program, what kind of, how they want to live their life and what kind of project that we need to be living in this community and how we want to operate it. Do you want other people to tell us what to do or do we want to operate ourselves? If we do, how can we actually make it self sustainable? So we are not going to be grant dependent. This is going to be a lasting for a long time. And the third one is really how can we create the space itself? Because I think virtual community is great and phone line is okay, but it's nothing like people just physically bump into each other. And that's where new idea comes out. And I really feel like this is the kind of place where people can come and exercise their creativity and do something, work together as a group to maintain their community and create the support system to the you know younger generation also. So I feel like there are lots of options available for older person to receive care. I feel like there was no space in the program where older people can feel like I go there to do something today so I can sleep better tonight. So that's the kind of place we wanted to create for Ibasho. And so what has emerged? How many people are involved? What kind of activities do they do? How do they give back or nurture their communities? Yeah, I started this Ibasho in Washington, D.C. when I was living there, really thinking that U.S. has issue with social isolation. That's why Ibasho actually idea came in. Yeah, the first concrete project turned out to be Japan. It's very ironic, but... <laughs> After that, after that tsunami happened, we wanted to do something. Of course, I had wrong approach of, oh, we have to go there and help elders. Yeah. And what I found was that they said, I'm so grateful. I have a clothes to wear. I have food to eat. I have a house to just live in after this tsunami happened. I would love to be able to thank everyone who helped us out. But any after one year of being receiving for this long, what I want to do is to do something to others. Can you help me out? So that's already the basis. So we decided to create a cafe where older people can actually serve tea rather than being served. And they'll bring the snack from home and just try to be self-sustainable because we want older people to have some place with pride. So they can create, it's an, actually a nice building that we create together and it's self-sustainable for last 10 years. So they're not grant depending. So what they did was starting with cafe and they realized they could do more. So they created an organic farm and they quickly realized they wanted to sell it to the community members. So they have bi-weekly 
farmer's market and they realized there is no ramen noodle shop close by. So they created the ramen noodle shop and started to create lunch provider. And then now they are creating a bento box and they deliver it to the older people living by themselves. So it's quite interesting. So the co-member is about 30 people normally. The 30 people changes over time. But I think it's about 70,000 people came into the Basho house where all the people created and keep running it. And where is this in Japan? And is there only one location or has this spread to other locations in the country? There's only one we have created. Yes, okay. it's right after that. So it was tsunami affected area. So it's up north in Japan. So then you were invited by some other countries to reproduce that model in also after a catastrophe. Can you share a little bit? Where did that then spread to? Yeah. So when we started, you know, when we completed this Ibasho house in Japan, we were invited by HelpAge International when the Philippines had the Hurricane Yolanda happen because they heard about the Ibasho and we wanted to do something. So I was talking to our elders and a group of elders wanted to help us out. So they raised funds and then they decided to come with me to Philippines. So they helped them out to set up the Ibasho in Philippines. And then we have done study and published this. So Ibasho, we created a research team to measure the social capital and we publish it through the World Bank. And at that time, we create, you know, just we publish our methodology, the research finding. And when the Nepal earthquake happened, surprisingly, there was a young social entrepreneur read my World Bank report, which is very surprisingly. <laughs> she just... Those things do get out there. <laughs> yes. And she called me up after the earthquake, said, this is what we need in Nepal. Can you please come and help? And at that time, we had no money. We just raised funds and talked to everyone and just tried to make a small project in Nepal. So those grew, did they reach a certain size? They were hit, I think, and were not able to continue through the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nepal and Philippines, but Japan was okay. Yeah. So how do you, for the World Bank study, you were starting to measure social capital, you said. What are the KPIs for this kind of a project? And are they convincing to others? Now you have been invited to replicate or test a similar model in Singapore. Mm-hmm. How are you thinking about what you've learned from the past decade or so of effort and what are you trying to bring to Singapore now? Yeah, I think the Singapore project is going to be slightly different from what we have done because we were independently, we're just creating a community organization to run this whole thing. Singapore, we are working with a social welfare organization or volunteer organization. It's just existing social services and infusing concept of Ibasho to scale because right. I think if we were not working with a social organization, it doesn't scale. So we are trying to do it, but it is going to be quite an interesting challenge because to do something like this innovation, you have to unlearn what we know to think differently. Working with an organization, people have to think different. They have to change their mindset from looking after my clients 
to empowering them to decide. And it's actually, it's quite difficult from people who are trained to look after older persons. So we are really trying to figure out what would be the best way to really bring the concept of Ipasho so that we can empower older person and probably just slowly influencing on the social organization and volunteer organization to really think differently about older person and social role of older person and try to see if we can just improve the care system here. So it sounds kind of like a big mindset shift and behavioral change that you're trying to orchestrate to get rid of ageism, basically, that's mm-hmm. pretty mm-hmm. deeply embedded. How do you measure that shift? How do you evaluate yeah. it? So I think it's a very good point. We are now very interested in how many people show up to the workshop and how many people pick up this brochure. I think we are very much interested in deep transformation of the culture culture in the community, culture in a bigger scale. So what we picked up was the social capital first and see how people expand or just the level of sense of agency, if that had any impact. So really try to look at individual level. But at the same time, what we haven't done well, which I would like to be able to explore, is really economic impact also. Because people think that it's a low cost, but we don't know if it's a low cost unless you will really see the life cycle of sort of care. Ibasho, we spend just, we need a development cost because we're talking about creating a space. It yeah. could be small, it could be big, but I think the benefit comes from self-sustainability. The government don't put money into this, but people actually raise their own funds. So it doesn't mean that it doesn't cost anything to run, but the funding is coming from different way. And that might actually impact on the sense of self-worth. Just we were able to raise our own funds and we are making this happens. So they might have a direct relationship with their self-worth. And we haven't really had that chance to be able to measure it so far. So I'm open to any researchers who are able to help me out. Okay. So KPIs are in your future or in somebody's future. (laughs) So I'm also curious if this idea of building community as a way of empowering older people is culturally based. All the countries you've worked in so far are Asian. Is this easier to do in countries that have perhaps a slightly more respectful view of their elders than some of the rich countries or some of the Western countries? It's an interesting question because if you could do this in Japan, I think Western country can do this also. One reason is like in Japanese, we don't have the word advocacy even because we have this community organization and organizing ourselves to do something is not part of our culture, really. But Western society, people actually just, they advocate their rights and do things. To me, there is a potential there. I think why Asia, it could be like a wide disaster. I think that's the answer. Right. You know, yeah, I think Japan, we had issue with aging society. It was the place where it was hit heavily by the earthquake and tsunami. Yeah. They already had aging issues. They already have this social isolation issues. They already had reduced sense of community among themselves. But this disaster kind of like 
shed the light to the issues that was already existing. And no one could actually ignore it because it was on the surface. And I think that this shock actually pulled people together sometimes. So I think it started from Asia because it was a three post-disaster area. But we don't have to wait for disaster to happen because the issues are there. And I think it's Western society has issues also when it comes to aging, you know. So, and also global aging, in a way, it is a slow coming disaster if we're not prepared. So do we want to wait until, you know, the shocking things happen or not? That to me is more question. I think the Gipasho principle is very universal. It works everywhere. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> We're going to check in on that. We'll check in on the everywhere. So I hope our listeners, what would it take if people who are listening would be interested in bringing Ibasho concept to their own country? Is there a place they should go? Should they reach out to you, to your World Bank report? We'll put all the links in the show notes, of course. But do you have any advice for how they might start in on exploring this concept? So I started this as individual, basically, and then grow it to my friends who became my board members who share the ideas. But so far, I really didn't think this was going to spread. I, I wasn't really designing to do this. I was just doing one by one to solve the issues and where the gaps are. So for me, at this moment, I'm actually thinking about train the trainers and train the trainers means I really want to older person over 65 or 75 come in and just they are the one who advocate and educate about Ibasho. So I really like to be able to train older people who want to be able to continue their work in this kind of space uh, to really help in this space. I think it'll be great. And I'm currently developing the training materials to be able to do that. And I should have done a little bit earlier, but it's a little bit slow process. But we are thinking about this. So at this moment, contact me and I will try to help as much as I can with all the materials we have. But in the future, in a few years, hope to be able to expand through other elders who can help us out. Fantastic. And we will keep in touch to make sure to publicize that moment. So perhaps just in conclusion, what have you learned that most surprised you about us older humans? Was there some shock, a discovery that you really didn't expect? Or perhaps what did you learn that surprised you most about the rest of us and our ideas about the old? I get that question sometimes and I always get tripped into this. Like my challenge here is that I grew up with my grandparents and great-grandmother. I just never thought them as like older person. (laughs) They were my friend and they were my teacher and they had longer life experience who could always make everything okay for me. So like working with older people, like outside of my family realm, I always see that older person just same as my grandparents. Yeah, I just don't see them as older person that much. I think one surprising thing is that when you really look into the eyes of older person, the skin color, the language, and the different type of culture, background that they live in, it doesn't actually make any difference. Its spirit is in the eyes. I feel like 
people always ask me, what are the cultural differences for older person? When I see grandmother's eyes in Africa, I see the same sparkle just that I saw in my grandmother. And I really hope what surprising thing is more to us how we perceive older person. I think how society perceives older person. Why are we singling them out as older person? It doesn't matter to me. There are resources. There are someone who, is, who has experience make our life okay. <laughs> but society doesn't recognize it. To me, that's most surprising. Thing. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up with what you considered to be a normal situation and then discovered that the rest of the world doesn't treat its old in anything like the same way and that we're losing the gift of this. So you know that this podcast is called Four Quarter Lives. And so Hmm. I've always been interested in the adult development phases of each quarter. And so this last quarter that you're talking about the fourth quarter, which is roughly the 75 to 100 years What do you dream of in the future that we could use this period of life for? You're saying that these older people would love to give back, that they have so much to give, and that in your own personal case, they made you feel better. Do you think this older community is ripe to make us all feel better in some way that we're not yet tapping into? Yeah, I really hope when I get to 75, people will call me with my first name rather than call me auntie or grandpa if we can. So I'd like to be able to see individual relationship to be celebrated rather than young and old relationship. You know, I think intergenerational bonding, the concept is great, but each time I hear younger persons and older person should learn from each other, I feel like, can we just make it as friends? That's more normal. And I really hope that, like, yeah, when I get 75 myself, I hope to be able to have many friends who are in the different age group. And we all call each other with first name basis. <laughs> that will be my dream <laughs> when I get to 75. And Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Emmy, yeah, on those how words. I will probably be different. Absolutely. And on those words, we will thank you and watch with great interest what you develop in Singapore and look forward to sharing how that spreads and how you can train others to follow in your footsteps. But thank you very, very much for for sharing the gift of Ibasha with us all today. Thank you. To our fourth quarters. For more thinking about the impact of our four quarter lives, you can read my column at Forbes and subscribe to my Elderberries newsletter on Substack. Let's design lives that aren't just longer, but better.